I imagine that when Satan went to the desert to tempt Jesus, he foresaw a great victory. Because every time he had tempted someone, he had succeeded sooner or later. But it didn't happen with Jesus. St. Gregory has a stunning statement about this. He says the following, like a brainless fish, he tried to swallow the bite of Jesus's humanity, but he found the hook of Jesus's divinity. And when we talk about the, the temptations, we have to think about Jesus going into the desert, this wilderness in Judea. It's really a rock desert where he went. Very little rain, few vegetation, almost no animals, some, some wild beast, as the gospel says. And that was it. But because it was very close, the wilderness, to places where people lived, it became a refuge over time for those who sought either solitude or safety. For instance, David, when he was uh, persecuted by Saul, he ran into the desert. And then we know John the Baptist, he lived in the, in the desert as well. It was the same region. So Jesus goes to the desert to undergo the test and only then returns and calls us to conversion and repentance. And usually, I think, at least, they seem to be two different kind of stages in the life of Christ. So first he goes to the desert, 40 days, all good. And then he starts preaching in Galilee, and he begins his preaching ministry, right? But let me suggest that both of them are interconnected. He teaches us how to repent precisely by the way he overcomes temptations. He, we all know from, not from the gospel today because it's so short, but from the other gospels, the three temptations that he had to face. And it's all a bunch of lies from the devil. That's what it, that's what it comes down to. And all these tricks that he tried to play on Jesus. The first one, if you recall, is that lie about maybe God is not enough for you. That's what he says. He might not take care of you. He might not provide for you. So you better make some bread for yourselves out of these stones. That's the first temptation, distrusting in, in the Lord. The second, second lie is about where true, true fulfillment is. Instead of in, in God himself, well, he suggests, the devil suggests, that maybe it is in power, in success, in being popular and famous. So he presents all the nations to Jesus. But he resists that temptation as well. The third one, it's also a lie. It's about the lie that we can really follow Christ Whole, uh, the Lord wholeheartedly because he the lies about God's promises implying that he will not be able to live up to the standards you remember it's that he's invited to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple testing God regardless of the lies 
Notice that always God, the Lord responds with the Word of God, with Scripture. And I used to think, I don't know about you, when I first read this, kind of in my mind I thought, well, ain't that nice? How cool. Jesus knew Scripture by heart, and he could quote it. How beautiful, how pious. But that's not the point. That's precisely not the point. To the lies that come from the devil, we should respond with the truth of the gospel. That is the point. When we listen to the lies of the devil, we should respond with the truth of the gospel. And that's what Jesus did. And that's how he teaches also how to fight against temptations and also how to repent. Notice that we talk about repentance a lot and conversion a lot. And today Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Well, what do we mean by conversion? Because are we all converted to the faith? Well, for an atheist, maybe to convert means to believe in God. For a theist, might be to believe in the Trinity, in Jesus' divinity. We talk about people joining the church, converting to the Catholic faith, even though they already believe in Christ. For all of us, during the time of Lent, we talk about conversion. Well, we already are Catholics. Convert to what? We are invited to deeper waters, to deeper conversions. So let me suggest that today the invitation is to a conversion of mind. Because the Greek word that Jesus used, or the gospel used here, is not for repent, is the word metanoia. And it's a, a word made out of two words, really. The word meta and the, the word nous in, in Greek. So, um, I'm going to skip that one. Meta means after or beyond. And nous, it's where we got the noia part of the word, is mind. And so, it is a transformation of the mind, a change or a turn of the mind. That is conversion. A different understanding of things. Now, when we talk about this, we have to admit that we all share similar values as a, at least as a society. It's what we call a culture. And we are born into them. We do not create it. We receive it. We cherish those values. We take them for granted. We do not challenge them. Most of the time, they go unchallenged. They are implicit in what we do and how we talk and how we behave. Let me give you an example. We Ameri Americans, I'm not American, but I, I am Latin American. We Americans are born with a worldview that is proper to us. For instance, democracy for us, not just a as a governmental form, but as a, an ideal of life, it's a given. It's a given. We all agree on that. No one challenges that. No one disputes it. What if I were to talk to you today about the benefits of changing to monarchy? I don't see a lot of excitement. <laughs> right? 
Because it's a given, we take it for granted. That's how we live. This is what we think it's good. So we all have what we can call our worldview, a way we perceive the world, not just the world, like the cosmos, but the way we perceive God, the way we perceive ourselves, the way we perceive others around us. I'm reading, or I just finished reading a book um, put out by professors of the University of Mary. And the book is called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. It's a wonderful book. And in it, it expands on, on this same concept and it says the following. Animals are dominated by time and sense. Their world is circumscribed by what is available to their senses at any given time, at any given moment. But humans are capable of transcending the immediate circumstances of time and place and of carrying a whole world in their minds, reaching back into the past and going forward into the future, embracing, embracing other places and realizing even invisible realities. That's why the Greek philosophers said that we humans are a microcosmos, a world in each one of us. And conversion for us means changing that worldview to Jesus's worldview. See, if you have, for instance, a materialistic worldview. Only what meets the eye is true for you. The most important thing in life would be pleasures in this world. Everything spiritual could be explained by psychology, science, and the rest. That is a worldview. You might take those premises for granted and go with it. Okay, well, that's a worldview. That's a way of looking at life and of interacting with other people as well. Because they're only matter, right? Well, we are called to a conversion and a transformation of the way we see reality. That's why when Jesus invites us to repentance, it's not just stop gossiping. That too. <laughs> but it's so much more deeper. It's a transformation of the way we perceive reality. And it's an invitation to acquire Jesus' way of looking at the world. Even if you are a cradle Catholic, you have to undergo this conversion. Maybe you're in a better position if you're a cradle Catholic. You grew up with more Catholic values, if you want. But still, nonetheless, Remember Nicodemus? He was a scholar of the law. He knew scriptures very well. He was a Pharisee, part of the, the, the tri top tribunal in, in Jerusalem. He went to meet Jesus at night, and he didn't get what Jesus was trying to explain to him. And these are Jesus' Jesus's words to him. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. 
if I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly ones? If I tell you about earthly things and you don't even understand that, how are you going to understand heavenly ones? We need to change the way we perceive things. We're invited to have the eyes of Christ during this Lent. A wonderful example is the life of St. Augustine. He was raised in a Christian, well, sort of a Christian family. His mother was Catholic. His father was an unbeliever. He went to church but did not get baptized. That was common in the fourth century. And then he went off. He lived in the north of Africa. He went to study to Italy. <clears throat> but he went to study rhetorics, which is the art of convincing, the art of swaying an audience by eloquent speech, is what I can never do in my homilies. But notice that he never cared about the truth. He just wanted to convince people, right? Like good politicians, he just wanted to convince people, and that was it. But then he, as he was studying, he came across a book from the Roman philosopher Cicero. It's called Hortensius. And he realized that he should pursue wisdom as he was reading that book. That was the first slight change in his mind. Maybe I should, shouldn't just convince people. Maybe I should be wise. That was the first transformation in his mind. Then he met uh, and he joined a sect, it's called the Manichaeans, which they have a worldview because they believe that there's a good God who created material things, and they're, sorry, a bad, God, a bad God who created material things, and a good God who created spiritual things. But they are at war at each other all the time. Well, if you have that worldview, Everything that's spiritual is good. Everything that's material, in, including the body, sciences, and the rest, that's bad, despicable. And he was, he, he fell into that trap for nine years. Eventually, he was interested in a preacher who preached very well at the time, St. Ambrose of Milan. He was the bishop in the cathedral. So he went to church, but not because he was interested in Christ. He was interested in rhetoric still. And over time, he became more and more interested, not only on words and speech, but in the content. And eventually, after much struggling, he came to Christ. He became Christian. See, it took him a long time. It might take you a long time. It might take me a long time to have Jesus' worldview. Because we have to change the way we think. And that is very profound, very deep. So let me ask you this. Do you see eye to eye with Jesus? Do you see eye to eye with Jesus? Do you agree 100% with what Jesus says, every single word in the gospel? Because if you struggle with something, if you disagree with something, maybe God's calling you to convert that. Maybe some of our faults, of our shortcomings, even of our sins, are due to that. That we 
in the end disagree with something the Lord says. Metanoia, we're called to conversion, to acquire the mind of Christ, the criteria of Christ. So today we should ask the Lord, help us to convert deeply and to have the lenses of God, to be able to acquire this worldview that belongs to Christ and that he may share it with us and give it to us as well.